Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the 40 Guard Threat Intelligence Podcast. I'm happy to have once again Amar Lakani on my side. Amar, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Jonas. How are you doing? I'm doing great, too, especially since this week we just released our semi-annually 40 Guard Labs Threat Report, where we dig deep into the disruption trends from 2020. What's uh, your feeling about this uh, great report? You know, I'm pretty excited about the report. So the Global Threat Landscape Report that comes out twice a year, it really gives us an insight of threats that we're seeing at FortiGuard Labs. I really enjoy like all these reports that come out. They come out from multiple companies. I remember back in the day when I first started getting into cybersecurity, I started reading the very famous Verizon Data Breach Report. And uh, that's, uh, you know, and I, and I remember all the telemetry that they had and all the data that they had. And it was really exciting for me to kind of understand and get a pulse on what was happening in the cybersecurity world. And that's exactly, I think, what our report tries to do as well. We take all the massive amounts of data that we have at FortiGuard Labs, and we sort through that. And it takes us a long time to sort through, through that. Even with all, all the you know machine learning, all the automation that we have, I mean, it's not only about taking the data, but it's about understanding that data and trying to put a narrative around that data and what that really means. And so I really enjoy uh, these reports, and I really look forward to uh, the, the FortiGuard Labs report uh, that we have at, on Fortinet's uh, homepage. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of great insight in there, and also a big shout-out to everyone who in general works on these kind of reports because there's so much work which goes in and so much insights from multiple different departments and it just helps to paint a pretty good picture about current state in cybercrime. For the one we just released about the last six months, I think one of the topics which which was quite prevalent was the the branches or let's call it the, the new work from home places where a lot of attacks targeted home routers. Um, I've been checking the stats every single week for the last six months, and every there was not a single week where home routers were not in the top five. So it depends a little bit on the country, which kind of brand it is. But in general, the home routers are under massive attack. And I think that's no surprise, because if I, if I think about it, usually when you get a, a new home router, you don't really update these kind of softwares on these devices. So when you install it for the first time, when you maybe change the ISP, you have a new software patch. But usually people don't update them manually. And over time, they get old and vulnerabilities are known for to anyone um, who can just check a normal database. And then it's pretty straightforward to exploit these routers. And in a world where in the past we have been spending most of our money in enterprises and now having a key change while people are working from home, home routers are something which are quite lucrative for um, the malicious threat actors because why not attack the weakest point of the chain and already start intercepting all the traffic which comes from all the home networks to the office environments. Jonas, I was just going to ask, I know me and you are probably looking at our home routers on a pretty regular basis, but I'm just wondering like, how many people, uh, how many normal people actually go look at the firmware on their home routers, upgrade them. And, uh, and not even that, it's not only the home routers, but what about the, uh, you know, the CPE? What about the equipment that the ISP gives at your, you know, in your home, such as their own router or their modem? And, you know, you're expecting, you know, those will be updated automatically, but they're not always the case. And most 
most people are not checking against, uh, you know, if they are running the latest firmware. And even when they do get updated, like, you know, sometimes they go on a cycle and they don't get updated as fast as me and you would want. You know, I think you mentioned, uh, you know, why the attacks are so popular is because, you know, it can potentially be the weakest link because, um, you know, vulnerabilities are coming out. What happens normally is when a manufacturer, you know, releases new firmware or releases a security patch, everyone is looking for that vulnerability because they know there's a lag between, you know, updating the patch as well as a lag between the patch being out or the vulnerability being out in the wild. And then, as you said, if you're controlling that edge device, you're really controlling that network. So if you're an attacker, you can do, uh, you know, you can change the DNS settings and perhaps, you know, send someone or redirect someone to a phishing website. You could do some uh, other other attacks as well. And that that is why it becomes lucrative because it becomes a jumping point for phishing attacks, stealing credentials, perhaps doing ransomware. And that is kind of scary. Yeah, you mentioned the, the jumping point, the first initial access. And these home routers become more and more powerful as well. And a lot of them enable have the uh, capabilities of enabling different features like for example anonymous ftp by default if you just hit this single checkbox and if people are not really aware what does it what does it mean if you enable um, anonymous ftp on on a router which is connected to the internet this can have some very very bad results in the end because uh, attackers are then able to, to use someone else's network for their malicious purposes, upload malware, and yeah, have a deni- device which is directly connected to the internet. And I've, I think the issue here is, is very often that in people's mind, it's it's very often about availability first, and security and security is not. Um, I mean, av- availability is part of security, but we need to have confidentiality and integrity as well to make sure these devices are properly secured. And um, there was also one of the issues which I've seen at, at people's homes that many people have quite strong computers these days at home, especially the gaming industry is bigger than the movie industry these days. And these GPUs, these graphic cards, these they can be used for so many different purposes. For example, crypto mining is something which comes to mind, but also brute force attacks where multiples of 10,000 of combinations can be used simultaneously. So having these devices at people's homes, which become more and more powerful over time and are definitely at the, at the current state are, are something which we need to look out for. No, uh, so you're, you're you're once again you're absolutely right. So first of all, uh, you you said a lot there. So let me let me first of all congratulate you on bringing in the CIA methodology as as someone that's recently passed their CII CISSP. So congratulations, Jonas, on that. But the CIA methodology in security is confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Those are all three key components of cybersecurity uh, from a uh, from a, a strategic standpoint, and you can really can't sacrifice one for another you know without without sacrificing cybersecurity so I think all those things matter um, the second point I think you hit on and I think it's uh, it's actually you know you know worth exploring a little bit is how powerful you know our machines at our homes are becoming that are not just computers when we're talking about our home media servers you know that are running 4k you know processing for TVs when we're talking about um, gaming machines and even you know our old you know gaming consoles and all those systems are computer systems I know Jonas when me and you have investigated in the past uh, just command and control systems when we've looked at um, attackers and we've looked at their infrastructure and those uh, very you know 
unique situations. We've seen that like a lot of botnets, for example, they're not only Windows systems, but they sometimes are systems we don't expect, like DVD players and DVR players and, and uh, you know, TVs and things of that nature because they're all computers. And they all have now more powerful GPUs, which means that attackers can use them for a variety of different attacks. Normally, they're still using them for, you know, distributed denial of service attacks using their, using their power because... All, all these systems, they're usually using, you know, what we call COTS, commercial off-the-shelf uh, products uh, for networking cards. They're using gigabit networking cards. They generate a lot of network uh, traffic. They can be used for denial of service attacks. But the GPUs also give attackers an opportunity to generate cryptocurrency by mining. And I know cryptocurrency is pretty volatile, but we've all seen what Bitcoins and other cryptocurrency have been doing this uh, last few months. Uh, it's been going insane, and that is a lot of motivation for attackers to try and use these systems for crypto mining. Yeah, and, and you, you mentioned the botnets. This is such a, a um, an interesting topic. So I decided to go a little bit down the, the rabbit hole, and I set up a botnet myself. So I wanted to understand how does it work, uh, what are the capabilities, how long does it take, and interesting part is it took me overall 30 minutes to set up my own botnet and um, with, while doing that it's there are a lot of different softwares out there on, on the internet uh, for free like on github you f find programs like build your own botnet where you can just build the command and control server infrastructure so not the malicious um, payloads where which you send to the victims but just a command and control server where you have to control over all the possible bots and Setting up these Docker containers with these scripts takes you usually 30 minutes. And these botnets out of the box have so many capabilities. You can, you can see the post exploitation model. So once you have some clients infected, you can start gathering credentials. You can start crypto mining. So even without a lot of skills, you're capable of um, setting up your, your own botnet in, in a way that could harm a, a lot of different people. And as you mentioned, when I checked the payloads, it's not just Windows or, or Mac computers because usually these botnets are communicating via Python. And these days, almost every single device which has a software running on it um, has Python capabilities. So leveraging all these IoT devices which are out there can, can cause a lot of harm because it always depends on the attacker's motivation. Maybe he's interested in doing a very sophisticated attack, so he's using a lot of bots for distraction and creating DDoS attacks. Or in other cases, he's just using all the infected clients for crypto mining, as you mentioned, to generate more money while stealing someone else's resources, which is obviously a big problem as well because we, there's quite a lot of money spent on physical hardware and, and software. And if someone else just steals these resources, um, they're not really usable for you anymore. So I think that sophistication in IoT attacks is is something which we need to look out for in, in the future as well, because it's, it's, in my opinion, just getting started while everything is moving towards software and being connected to the internet. There are a lot of botnets as proof of concept botnets, as you mentioned, like build your own botnet that are available on sites like GitHub. Uh, there's also botnets that have been taken down and neutralized that are available on 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 the internet as well. Most of these are done for educational purposes, but there are attackers out there that are modifying this code, taking this base code and modifying it for their own purposes. So that's uh, you know that that's one avenue of attack. You know, as you mentioned already, that botnets. Uh, 
you know, they have multiple, uh, like the botnets that hackers are using, they have multiple characteristics that are built in that they can attack, you know, attack their victims from. Uh, you can use, I've seen Python, I've seen PowerShell, I've seen DLL injection, I've seen even a JavaScript injection for drive-by download. So they have multiple ways of actually infecting the client. And then lastly, botnets these days are more like content delivery networks for, uh, for malware. So usually like malware or more sophisticated malware will be carried upon a botnet. Emotet is a popular example. I know we've talked about it in the past a couple of times, but Emotet is a popular example of botnet that was really acting as a, a content delivery network for other types of malware, specifically a lot of ransomware. Because what happens is attackers will normally infect a system. Usually bo a botnet would be the first type of infection. Then they have control of the system. And then after that, they'll basically be, you know, poking around the organization, you know, moving vertically throughout the organization. Botnets will normally let you do other commands as well, uh, if you want, like add persistence, add key loggers, add other things. But most likely an attacker is probably going to use another another method of that besides just using what's in the botnet because they want to have multiple methods where they attack that. And then lastly, usually when they've gotten everything, when they've exploited an organization or when they feel like they might be getting caught, uh, they'll you know they'll release the ransomware as uh, as that last effort to try and make as much money as they can. Yeah, the the infrastructures are, are getting bigger and bigger. And I think one thing to point out, which I think su is super interesting, is that even though law enforcement is capable of taking down these botnet command and control servers, even years later, when I check the stats from Forty Guard Labs, I see a lot of botnet activity from botnets which have been shut down in the past, which means they're not really active anymore, but because the clients are infected and are still having um, malware running on it, which tries to connect to this command and control service, which are offline these days, uh, we, we can still track them. And the amount of clients out there which still run botnet soft, botnet malware from like uh, five or 10 years ago is, is quite big. So it really shows that we need to step up cyber hygiene as well, because if we have that much malware from back in the days running on all these devices across, it might be something which attackers try to leverage as well, where they know, okay, there's already so much malware installed. Maybe we can just try to get this domain up and running again, or just change a, a few parameter of the of the ips to to make it to make them all of them come back who have been infected before yeah you know you know one of the things that i think what's going on is like a lot of people when they're doing restorations when they're re restoring a system from image um we have two things that happen is we usually see them uh restore a system from image and they're once again reinfecting their systems a lot of times with botnet or other malware and i've also seen the opposite happen i've seen like a, a lot of people restore uh, you know system images and kind of forget some of the patches that they have to do making their systems vulnerable again and i think sometimes that is why we see a lot of like old attacks coming back over and over again obviously we still have the problem of like sometimes it's just very difficult for some organizations uh, very large organizations or organizations that uh, you know just don't have the capabilities of cleaning up their entire uh, entire uh, eco ecosystem yeah definitely and i think we just touched uh, the surface here and the beauty about this is that in our report we drill down much uh, deeper and discover uh, even more topics but um, once again it was really good to talk to you amor and hopefully we can uh, follow up soon sounds great jonas talk to you later thanks a lot for everyone listening in and we we talk to you soon bye-bye